Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Hello, friends. Have you ever just wanted out? Like you're there, you're present, but you just want out. Life is full of scenarios that make us feel like we just want out. We want to jump ship and be done with the commitments, be free from the disappointment and escape. Go somewhere else, anywhere else, work somewhere else, connect with someone else, be someone else. You just want out. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever lived with that feeling for weeks or months or years? It's a terrible feeling. It's a lonely isolated feeling, angry, frustrated. It can be an exhausted feeling, sometimes a hopeless feeling. You're there going through the motions, doing the things, but deep down you wish there was a way out, a way to end it, a way to move on. And that feeling can come in a million different scenarios and a million different relationships, difficult seasons of marriage, parents who just don't get it, siblings who are jerks, in-laws who are judgmental, children who give you a run for your money, dead-end jobs who don't appreciate what you have to offer or work you to the bone, mismanaged companies and employees, cranky neighbors, bad business deals, responsibilities on too many fronts, friends who appear to no longer be on your side, bullies, enemies who won't stop coming after you, Volunteer networks without any volunteers, churches that wound and abuse. And if people are honest, sometimes it's just so hard being you. You might wish there was an easy way out. You just want out. Now, what happens? Like, what happens inside of you when you really don't want to be there anymore? And what happens when? Deep down in your guts, you just want out. What turns off once you start wishing for that way out, wishing for a different life? Part of you withdraws. You turn off. You shut down. You close yourself off. You numb yourself. You disengage. You stop caring about the people who you used to be connected to. And you stop staying in touch. The relationships fade away. And if you haven't already done it, you begin to think about detaching and cutting people off and leaving. Now, friends, coworkers, family members who are sensitive and perceptive, they can usually tell. They can feel it. Now, they may not understand all of your reasons why, but they can tell you aren't all here. You're somewhere else. You are there. But, of course, the question is, where is there? Well, you begin to imagine a different life somewhere else with other people. You begin window shopping for different relationships and 
different possibilities, different connections, dipping your toes in that water. And as you look around at other people's lives and observe them from a distance, they appear so clean, so harmonious, so perfect compared to all the struggle and mess and stress of your life and your relationships, the grass certainly appears to be greener on the other side of the fence. The longer that you hold on to that feeling of just wanting out, the more you define freedom as disconnection and detachment, free from commitments, free from responsibilities. It's escape. I've known people who they feel like they just want out and they leave so fast everyone else's head is spinning with whiplash. Their answer is cut everyone off, cut everything off, change everything. And then I've known people who they have those same feelings. They just want out, but they find ways to self-differentiate. They become more fully themselves less enmeshed and they also are able to become more fully themselves and more fully connected to those around them and so they stay they work on things they wait they trust god and ultimately thrive and then i've known people who they feel those same feelings they want out but they just stay and live with those feelings decade upon decade and they become numb. They're going through the motions, but if you know them well, they hate their life. And that's really hard to watch. So we're going to break here for a discussion question, or for you, if you're listening to the podcast, maybe it's just a reflection question. Um, in our worship gathering, we discuss this with one another. This is a tender topic, so we're not going to start out by talking about ourselves. So let's put you in the position of a sensitive, perceptive family member, coworker, friend. And here's the question. What are some signs that someone else might be feeling like they just want out? So go ahead, reflect on that, and we'll regroup here in just a little bit. With each and every experience of just wanting out, depending on how we handle it, something happens to us. Something happens inside of us. We either move a notch towards becoming loners, loyal only to ourselves, living by this question, what's in it for me? And if we move that direction, our goal becomes having a life where no one's really counting on us for anything. It, it becomes our mantra. It's like we tell other people, you better not count on me. If you're making plans, don't count on me. And so freedom becomes disconnection. We guard our independence and our autonomy like a hawk. And we crave this ability to flip from one thing to another thing and partake of whatever we want. We want to be able to be a part if we want to be. 
but we don't any, want anything to be required of us. And we're searching for meaning in the midst of it all, but usually coming up empty. So we either move a notch that direction, or the other alternative is we move a notch towards committing ourselves, binding ourselves to specific people. It's this spouse, it's this church, these friends, this job, this family, this community. And we accept that the grass isn't always as green as we think it is across the fence. We accept that every life, every family, every job has its messes and its struggles. And some of them simply aren't visible from the outside. And so we lean into a life of people counting on us. We lean into commitment and loyalty and reliability. And we lean into sticking with people through the struggle and through the mess. And so instead of asking, well, what's in it for me? A new question begins to emerge. How can I be useful here? How can I be fully myself and fully connected to these people? And we open ourselves to this possibility that our stick with this spouse, these friends, this church, this community, this job, it just may be the space that God wants to use to transform us and to transform the world along with us. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The Greek word is pistis. Now, what is faithfulness? When people hear that word, faith, or faithfulness, I think a lot of them think of like some kind of a religious conversion behind it. It's that kind of word. Like if someone says, I have faith, you, you think of them saying, I believe there's a God. That's faith, right? Well, there's a Bible scholar, E.J. Gupta, he used to actually teach at George Fox Seminary, points out that all language is based on culture. It's based on how people use words in their day. So, for instance, when my son Cooper says that something is sick, he doesn't mean that it has a cough. He doesn't mean that it has a fever. He means that it's awesome. It's cool. It's incredible. He says, that is sick. So back to Nijay Gupta, in his book, Paul and the Language of Faith, he looks at how people in the ancient world used this word, faith, faithfulness, pistis, and, and its other cognates. And, and so Nijay Gupta says, if you asked the average person on the street, especially a non-Jewish person, uh, what does pistis mean? He says 99% of them wouldn't be thinking about a religious conversion. They wouldn't be thinking about whether or not God exists. They would be thinking about social concord and political pacts and political relationships and social commitment and loyalty and allegiance. They wouldn't be thinking about religious belief. Pistis was what happened when two kings were going to war against a third king they would make a pact of pistis. It was allegiance. It was the, these two kings saying to one another, you can count on me in this situation. You can count on me. 
pistis was a willingness to bind yourself to another person, another group, choosing to be bound to others. It was loyalty, complete reliability. So an ancient example, this comes from the work of N.T. Wright, how this word was used around the time of Jesus, just so you can kind of get your mind around this. So the historian Josephus, he writes about when he was a young army commander. It was 66 AD, and he was sent on a mission to sort out the, a rebel movement in Galilee. And his task was to persuade these hot-headed Galilean rebels to stop this mad revolt against Rome. They were trying to basically have a revolution. And his task, Josephus, was to tell these guys, you need to trust the Jewish aristocrats to work this situation out with the Roman authorities instead of you guys with your revolt. So Josephus, he goes, he confronts this rebel leader, and he says to this rebel leader, repent and put your faith in me. Pistis, that same word. Now, he's not calling the rebel leader to a religious conversion. He's calling for him to put all of his eggs in a different basket. He's saying, be willing to bind yourself to me. He's asking for social commitment. God is this ultimate picture of faithfulness. Pistis. It's the Think about the history of the language of covenant. It's this picture of year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia, God sticks with the world as it is. God works for transformation and growth within what already is. God doesn't scrap the entire project and move on. And so faithfulness is stick with itness. The fruit of the Spirit is stick-with-itness, faithfulness. It's this willingness to be bound to other people, to specific people, with all their quirks and all their idiosyncrasies, and to see your relationship with them as the ground of your own formation and transformation. Now, the question comes, how important was this sense of stick-with-itness within the history of the church. Well, as the Roman Empire declined, extended families began to splinter. They began to pull apart over pursuing economic gain. You had greed on the one hand and poverty on the other hand, and people were pulling up roots. They were disconnecting from one another. It was a time of chaos on many fronts, politically, within families. And it wasn't just non-Christians, it was also uh, Christians. And within the monastic movement, Christian monks were moving around the land. And they were acting like if they could just make it to the right Christian community, that then they would have a really effective ministry. Then God could really use them. Then they could have a really good life. And so St. Benedict was observing all of this. Uh, he wrote about these four different kinds of monks, and specifically he wrote about this group, groups, I should say, called the Cerebites, uh, where it was like just two or three monks would 
They wouldn't bind themselves to a community. They wouldn't bind themselves to a teacher. They had no way of life. They were just kind of floating around. And if they believed something, they called it holy. If they didn't like something, they called it forbidden. They were just slaves to their own will, basically. And so Benedict observes all of this in the culture, and he started to organize monastic communities around a way of life, a rule of life that involved stability. So when you joined a Benedictine community, you knew that you were going to receive two cooked meals a day, fresh fruit, vegetables, a moderate amount of wine. You'd have a bed, you had a cover, you had a pillow, and you took a vow of stability, which meant stay where you are. Become what you believe. Become what you preach. This is your place for developing holiness and wholeness. Become useful right where you are. And so Benedict was all about helping people renounce finding the perfect fit, finding the perfect life, and embracing the ordinary, embracing rootedness and at-homeness. He was trying to help people latch on to fulfillment doesn't exist in constant change, constantly chasing something. I wonder what Benedict would have to say if he lived in our society today. As everyone dials in on their own information sources and their own brand of politics and their own flavor of entertainment and their own interests, it's like there's less and less shared experience, shared reality. There are more and more deep disagreements and deep divides and families that generations back would have never dreamed of ripping apart or tearing some of them right down the middle. People are denying the importance of their relationships with others. And so they detach. They, they cut people off. Churches, families, and, and perhaps they all come by it naturally because in many ways, that's the history of America. The, the history is not being with extended family. Native Americans, African Americans, immigrants. It's a history of detaching and cutting them off. Now, none of this about stability is to say that God doesn't send us out. That God doesn't call us to move, to start a new job, to build new friendships. God does. But there's a world of difference between being sent out, called out by God, and trying to escape, trying to detach, trying to cut people off, chasing a life you wish you had. As a side note, I want to be sure to say that there are situations of domestic violence and abuse where staying means a lack of well-being, a lack of peace. It means harm. And in those situations, I agree with the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 7.15, God has called you to a life of peace. And I agree with Romans 13, verse 10, love does no harm. What if the life you have, what if the relationships you have with all their warts, all their struggle, is the place where God intends for you to be formed, to develop wholeness and holiness? 
The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. It's willingness to be bound to others, willingness to have other people count on you. Rather than saying, yeah, guys, don't plan on me being there. Make your plans without me, but still hoping that you can partake in some way. Faithfulness means getting right into the thick of the mess and saying, how can I be useful here? We live in a culture that's committed to non-commitment, a world that thrives on flitting to the next new thing. You throw away the old thing, you buy a new thing, and why buy something that you're going to have to take care of and do upkeep on? Our society seems to long for a world where nothing's required of us, nobody's counting on us, and yet somehow everything's available to us and we're free to partake if we want, but don't count on us being there. And we somehow hope to find meaning in it all. The question is, how will we ever grow in the fruit of faithfulness if no one's counting on us? So who are the people in your life who are counting on you? Are there people in your church family who are counting on you? Are there people in our community who are counting on you? And how do you feel about that? Does being bound to others help you feel connected to God? Or has the culture's mirage gotten inside of your imagination? Do you long for a life where no one's counting on you? Do you envision finding meaning in that life? That's a mirage. How, how will we ever grow in this fruit of faithfulness if no one's counting on us? In the nitty-gritty of daily life, when people are counting on us, it isn't very romantic. It means dirty dishes and hectic schedules and sawdust and miles on the road and late nights and tired bodies and stress. And it's pretty easy to start wishing we had zero responsibilities and that nobody was counting on us. So another discussion question. In our gathering, we chatted with one another about this. So discuss or reflect on this. Respond to the following statement. A life where no one is counting on you is a life devoid of meaning. Do you agree with that? Or do you disagree? Or would you nuance it in some way? And why? So go ahead and reflect on that. Have that conversation. That energy, that desire to be bound to others, that desire to be useful and reliable, it's not something that we just muscle up. It comes from our connection with God. God is sticking with the people in your life, with all their warts and all their problems. God is sticking with the world as it is. And God is sticking with you. And God will always stick with you. 2 Timothy 2.13 Here's a trustworthy saying, If we are faithless, God remains faithful. For God cannot disown himself. So, time and time again in Scripture, we see God bend and stoop to accommodate 
our own distorted desires and what we want and what we think we need. And it's not that God completely agrees with us, but God's meeting us where we are. But the one thing God can't do is disown God's self. God has to be fully himself. God has to be fully connected to us. And God's true to God's self. And so even when we're not reliable and not loyal and not committed, God's character is that he is reliable and loyal and committed. God has bound himself to us. God is faithful. Let's zoom in on one of the relationships in your life that most recently made you feel like you just want to get out and be done and move on. It's really easy to focus on those feelings and to ruminate on what caused you to feel that way. But what if you began chewing on a different part of the equation? God is sticking with that person just as they are. And God has bound God's self to that person. God is committed to that person. God is faithful to them when they are faithless. Now, what might it do for your emotions if you would take even five minutes every day just to think about how committed God is to that person? Now, you say, I I don't know how to do that. Your mind wants to focus on all the wrongs that they have done. And all the reasons that you should cut them off. And rather than fighting that impulse to think about the wrongs they've done, sometimes it's really hard to turn that off. What if you went there? But what if you went there in a complete way? Meaning, what if you think about those wrongs that they've done in their complete context, in their complete reality, which is in the midst of everything that they are doing and everything they have done, God is sticking with them. God is committed to them. God is faithful to them when they are faithless. And as you spend time with God's faithfulness to them, how can that fruit of faithfulness not begin to swell and grow within you? It's God in you and you in God. And how can you not find that you want to do something kind for them? You want to do something useful for them. How can you not feel fully empowered to to be fully connected to them and yet fully yourself, not disowning yourself? God teaches us that. How can you not want to see them thrive and be a part of their thriving? Proverbs 3 verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So we just have one final discussion question, reflection question. What becomes possible as someone finds relief and healing from that terrible feeling of just wanting? So reflect on that, discuss that. Love you, friends.
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.